there was kind of Portuguese restaurant halfway up, just past that. It was just a little bit past that on the right-hand side. Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. I hope you are well. I hope you've been doing some good things with your life. Just come back from a lovely country walk, so I'm 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 happy. As country as you know, southeast London near Croydon can can be. Uh, yeah. So this week, who have we got? We've got James Crawford, TV presenter and uh, novelist. He's he's absolutely fantastic. Genuinely awesome guy. He's written some fantastic uh, uh, books on um, architecture, which I'm really excited about. Um, the Basically exploring the stories of buildings around the world, ancient buildings, uh, structures and what have you, and their historical significance, which, to be honest, you don't have to be an inner geek. You don't have to have an inner geek, inner geek or an inner partridge to appreciate. This just sounds amazing. But it, more specifically, what we're talking about in this episode is his TV series, Scotland from the Air, which I saw a couple of weekends ago on BBC on the iPlayer and those episodes are still up there so you can still check them out uh, Scotland from the Sky James is the presenter and they basically explore the the fantastic historical elements from the sort of industrial history all the way through to just I don't, I don't know what you'd call it really all sort of his, just historical historical facts it's it's really fantastic i absolutely love it to pieces and it's really cool like sunday afternoon watching if you know if that's what you want or in this particular instance a tuesday or a wednesday or a thursday afternoon who cares but it's a cup of tea chill out watch that's what it is and it's really really worth your time so do check that out scotland from the air so before i go yeah uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter for a little bit of back and forth, always always good to chat with you guys. Um, got, a, got quite a few um, shout outs today for Patrick Monaghan, who particularly liked the conversation that I had with Lisa from Wussy, uh, a band, a singer from the band Wussy, who I had on a few weeks ago, if you want to check that out. Um, and a couple of other people have randomly, I don't know why, but Paul, the Paul Salapak check, a uh, chat. Ch- oh my, I'm so tired. Really sorry about this. I am struggling today. My God, I went too hard on the Peloton. Yes. Anyway, Paul Salapak, um, a couple of people emailed me just to say how much they enjoyed that chat. And, um, that was Dave, um, Dave Edmonds and Leslie Slater. Uh, so thanks for that, guys. Uh, really, no, I, I really enjoyed that conversation as well, which is good timing because I think the James Crawford chat that you're listening to this week is actually a good companion piece to that would be the Paul Salapak chat. So if you do feel like checking that out, please do. But yeah, I'll see you on Twitter at Limehouse Pod or on Instagram, just the Limehouse Podcast. Look after yourselves, have a good week, and I'll see you on Wednesday, where we're going to be rocking out to um, some kind of music, some kind of new band, some kind of new artist. Who knows what will happen? Rock on. Stay safe. Hello. Jamie, how you doing? Good, how are you? 
are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, pal. I'm not bad. Yeah, um, it's funny. It's funny to see your face. I've been, yeah. I've been, I feel like I've been watching it nonstop for about a week. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it's a beautiful face, man. It's okay. It's all good. What is that, Estrella? You're drinking. It is. Yeah, it is. I've oh. had a bit of a, a bit of a long day of of zooming. Um, so oh, I okay. Well, no, it's okay. I thought it's probably about time that I had a beer. So yeah, yeah. I had that last night. I had a really, really nice lager, and um, you know, one of those wanky, you know, hipstery lagers. Um, but if uh, craft beer, so, yeah, it was so good though. God, I'm trying to trying to get fit, lose weight, get on the get on it. I'm hitting forty next year. So where's where you know. where are you? Where are you based? I'm in I'm in Sydenham, southeast London. Okay. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, you know the pretty much the absolute opposite of our subject matter tonight. So, yeah. well, yeah. I used to, I used to live in southwest London for a while. Oh, really? Whereabouts? I was in Putney and Earlsfield. When... Oh, I lived in I lived in Earlsfield. Where, where, whereabouts in Earlsfield? I was on God. So, Ravensbury Road. Okay, you, yeah. Which is near the used to be a pub called the Puzzle, which I think is called the Wandle now. We're all the same. Oh African right. Go. Yeah, yeah. I know the Wandle. I used to drink in there all the time. Oh yeah, I used to, time, when it was the Puzzle. I used to be there all the time. And then there's the road that goes up the hill from the Puzzle towards Wandsworth. I can't, is that Earls? I don't think that is. That's Earlsfield Road. Road. It's yeah. Earlsfield. Yeah, it was Earlsfield Road. Yeah. Oh, so, so you lived on that road? Yeah, I lived on that road. So, <laughs> Me yeah. too, mate. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My my brother also lived on that road for a while. So it's like, yeah. Uh, small small world, man. Yeah, well, you're exactly. the first person I've, I've ever interviewed that um we've lived on the same road. Which well, number you, are you? you which, I was I was 131 Ellsfield Road, but I don't think you're going to remember the number, are you? Oh, what was I? 300, <laughs> I think. Oh, man. If you'd said, I think it's 131 too. Yeah. I'd be like, okay then. Then we have to make this a different it was, podcast. It was kind of near the top. There was like a, it was kind of Portuguese restaurant halfway yeah. up. Halfway, halfway up, up, yeah. It was just a little bit past that on the right-hand side. Yeah. Heading up the road, but, uh, but yeah. It's a while oh, ago now, actually. Feels like yeah. yesterday, but actually it was 2007 that I left London. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah, well, I wish it I... It still I feels like yesterday, but I've had like two kids since then and <laughs> everything. So it's kind of but, actually... It was, Mate, it was it, I reckon, yeah, it would have been about um, eight years ago that I was living in um, in Ellsfield, and now I've got a kid and one more on the way, and uh, living living in Southeast London, and just back then it was just a different time. Oh my God, I was a different me, completely different. Yeah, yeah. 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 But um, yeah, man, like um, God, I don't know where to start because it's such a monumental subject. Uh, well, for me anyway, but I reached out to you because of my love of Scotland. And I was I think I was like having a lazy Sunday afternoon uh, flicking the channels. And, um, you know, if you're a bit hungover, a bit delicate, I think country file is a great thing. And then if you're super lucky, something else will come on after that. And I think it was mid afternoon or something that um, Scotland from the sky came on and uh and your cheery face and but i didn't know there's a season one and this is season two that i'm watching i was, I was yeah. like, oh my there's two yeah. seasons what the hell yeah it's it's i think it's one of those things where it was it was actually the first series was filmed when was it filmed 2017 
and broadcast mm. 2018 in Scotland. And yeah. in Scotland, what we have is uh, a sort of opt-out programming. So BBC One in Scotland, that's what Scotland from the Sky was made for. So yeah. when in England or Wales or Northern Ireland, there'll be something panorama or something is on in Scotland, yeah. they'll get from the sky. And the idea is they want to put, you know, they want it to look really good. So they, it's a big budget behind it. It's the same budget that, you know. Mate, it's very impressive. But, you know, a big national program would have, but then they kind of keep it in Scotland. Um, and then the second series was commissioned and was filmed, which broadcast last year, again on BBC One Scotland. Um, in this kind of lovely nine o'clock, you know, 9 p.m. slot just before the news. Great slot to have. Um, yeah. But because because the funding comes from BBC Scotland, they kind of like to hold on to it. And I suspect it was partly because of COVID that they're running out of programmes that BBC oh. Two picked ah, it up okay. and showed the whole series in one go, the whole two series yeah. in one go, so kind of six episodes back to back on, on Saturday nights. Because what 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 always what always fascinates me with these programs is how they come to fruition. Well, not so not fruition, but was it your because was it your brainchild uh, and you you pitched it to someone or did someone come to you? How did it work? Someone came to me. Um, I mean, it's it's a kind of odd thing. It, it, it I, I think often these kind of origin stories can be quite strange and quite unusual. But I'd I'd written a book uh, which was published in. 2015, November 2015, um, which was, I'd written other books before this, and actually I'd written books about aerial photography before this, but this book I'd written was what I kind of see as my first proper big non-fiction book. And mm. it was about lost buildings all around the world, going from prehistory to, to the present day, you know, from Tower of Babel up to the Twin Towers. And I was doing publicity for that book. I was on Start Week on Radio 4, which is kind of very much and for books and um yeah. and a producer heard me on on the radio you know i guess a big listenership start week straight after today program so yeah, mate, i listened to it so there you go so producer of the bbc heard me gave me a call and just said are you interested in opportunities with the bbc so we met and we had a chat and we actually a few people approached me about this book fallen glory a few people within from different parts of the BBC. Um, this was the, the factual unit in BBC Scotland. And we kind of talked around Fallen Glory and the potential of filming it, but it's obviously because it covers the entire world and all sorts of different time periods, it's 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 a very hard thing to film and you possibly need to be David Attenborough to, to pull it off. And certainly with no, yeah. no filming experience behind me, it was gonna be a tougher one and then we talked about maybe something around Scottish buildings. And then because they, they saw a bit more of my background, I'd written these books linked to the National Collection of Aerial Photography, which was where I worked at the time. Um, they sort of raised the idea that they'd always wanted to do a From the Sky style series. But actually, this was more than that because it, it employed archive and a huge amount of archive material. And you could bring the two things together because previous from the sky style programs have very much been just lots of aerial footage with a voiceover much yes, less yes. kind of you know actually getting back down on the ground and telling the stories and and telling the history it was more just a kind of if you like a visual feast whereas this the yeah. idea was to try and combine the two and actually bring the history in much more prominently and, and try and tell the history of aerial photography at the same time 
Mm. I mean, you feel very comfortable talking about the history of Scotland because you're, well, you're a historian. But I mean, like, you were just, I bet you salivated a bit, didn't you, really? When, like, the, the BBC are looking to, like, go, hey, we're not just going to give you a few quid, we're going to be a proper budget, and this is this is how it's going to be, it's gonna be massive landscapes, and you're going to get time to really get stuck in. I mean, I'm just presuming you had the time to get stuck in, but... Um, yeah, it must have been quite something to, to to have that land on your plate, sort of. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was, I mean, it's kind of scarcely believable. You know, it's one of those things you just think, yeah, but it's not, it's not going to happen. And and then, you know, as as time progresses, you see that it, it is going to happen. And, you know, you yeah. start getting scripts together. And, you know, one of the early scripts is, has got you going up in a, the idea of going up in a kind of Bristol fighter the, the, the earliest, yeah, or sorry, the, wow. the oldest still surviving, still flying World War One biplane, and you start to think, oh yeah, this could be, this could be fun because you just don't, you just don't know what's involved. You know, I don't, yeah. you know, I've, I've I've watched enough documentaries to kind of get a sense a little bit of what happens, but when it actually yeah. comes to the practicalities of filming it yourself, you you don't quite know, you know, what what you're going to do, and I mean, even say to that the first, you know. Our, our very first day of filming of the first series, we were up in Wick in the far north of Scotland. So I had to fly yeah. up to Edinburgh, up to Wick, hadn't met any of the crew at this point. I mean, I'd met the directors and we'd kind of talked through what was going to be in the programmes and we worked on the scripts. But I hadn't met the sound man, the director of photography, the drone photographer. You yeah. know, so suddenly you're meeting all these people who are absolute old hands of the industry. You know, a couple of them had just been working on civilizations that, that you know, big series with Mary Beard and Simon Shama. Yeah. And you're just oh going to think, yeah. oh God, I hope they don't think, who's this useless guy? But <laughs> who's this I mean, that's, I know, who's this chancer? Like, is this your yeah. first time in front of yeah. camera? Were you, were you bricking it a bit though? Because I, I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've, I've got some experience, uh, but I mean, not, 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 not nowhere near that level. When the camera set, you know, starts rolling, it's. Yeah. I mean, we you, did. Were you trying to get your, your, were you working on your, how you were going to, come across with you on your personality etc were you thinking about that a lot of your delivery prior to it or was it something that came naturally I, th I, th I mean we did we did spend you know a few hours one day just talking through it and we did some sample shots um just working with the script that we had uh yeah. so it wasn't that first morning wasn't the absolute first moment of being on camera and actually i, I forget and i'm remembering now we did do uh before it was commissioned, we did a five-minute taster film, which oh, just okay. took the concept and, and did it as a proof of concept for the commissioners. So I spent a day with a director. I'd written a, a sort of a script for a five-minute film based yeah. around central Glasgow, actually looking at the, the Titan cantilever crane, which is just across the, the river from BBC Scotland. And it's a great story because it's, you know, yeah. it was originally constructed in 1927. Um, so at that point, it was, you know, sort of uh, 90, exactly 90 years old at the time we were making this this little pilot piece. Yeah. Um, and we had lots of great aerial footage of that location, which has changed, which used to be a massive shipyard. And now it's become, you know, this where there's the SECC, there's the Hydro, there's BBC Scotland, there's STV Studios. So it's become this yeah. kind of almost, you know, it's been part of the transformation of Glasgow, post-industrial Glasgow, was in this one setting. So it was a really good example to show how mm. the program might work so actually i had spent this day with this really good young director who'd recently won a, a royal television society award and he kind of put me through my paces 
and gave me a lot of tips about how to be on camera. And yeah. you know, partly you know, you write a script, and sometimes you're you're just you're basically just remembering the script, and you practice the lines, and you're doing lines. Sometimes you're ad libbing. It's a mixture, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of the rhythm of it. It helps if you're if you're sticking to script. Sometimes it helps if you go off piece. You know, all these things. Mm. But I think that day with him actually was a real, you know, was all the things I needed to know without being on, you know, under the pressure of here I am, this is it, we're on yeah. the clock, we've got to do all of this in one day, then we're on to the next location. So I, I came with a bit of a sense of, all right, but actually even then that was just one, that was just one guy with a camera. Right. Yeah. You've got a whole crew standing around and it's like, go, that's, you know, that first day. And we, the very yeah. first bit of shooting we did, we had to shut down Wick Airfield, oh you know, God. which is a proper international airport. So we would like shut down and we were, I was on the main runway and he'd be like, okay, we've got 10 minutes before the next plane comes in. You've got to do your piece of camera and then you're going to clear <laughs> off the runway and planes going to happen and then we'll get back on. And so I guess it was a kind of, it was a fairly high pressure start, start but, you know, quite appropriate to be standing on a runway for the very first piece of camera. Well, I mean, look, man, I mean, like five years time, if this hasn't worked out, then if you're in an interview you, and they can say, look, can you give us an example of when you performed under high pressure? You know, there you go. Exactly. That's right. right? That, that interview you know. interview question is, is there. It's covered. Yeah. No messing around. Just straight in. Yeah. You know, that's something. So when you were putting this together, what were the, the, the focal points, not necessarily the focal points, but the pieces you were most looking forward to documenting and talking about? Because from my understanding of the, the episodes that I've watched is the the integration between industry and uh, the human side of it as well the people that, that either were profiteered from it or or suffered because of it I mean I think with the first series one of the things that, that we definitely wanted to cover was the history of aerial photography itself you know that that kind of pioneering thing which emerged out of the the First World War. So, you know, telling that story and, and, and moving that arc forward. By the time we got to the second series, it was quite nice because we were sort of freed up. Because I think with the first series, you kind of had to cover those bases. You know, you had to explain where this came from, how it was initially used for. But once we got to the second series, we were looking at things like industry, or the changing landscape, you know, that that's where the strength of the view from above and it's one of the things we always kind of kept close and i we would always kind of repeat throughout the series is you know why why from the sky you know yeah it's always about that sense of you're able to tell stories of large scale landscape change sometimes over a long period of time sometimes over quite a short period of time often with industry you know it's quite a short period of time that, that, that these things were there and then they disappeared and and yeah. you know something else had, had emerged so you know, I think being able to being able to tell those big stories, but still, and this is for me the beauty of the format of the program, is some people might expect it, and some people probably are disappointed that we're not just in the sky the entire time, floating above, <laughs> looking at all these beautiful Scottish landscapes. But ultimately, I think that would be a tedious three or six hours of television. And you need yeah. to get down and talk to people, and you need to try and get the human story and. And I really like the way we can tell big history, but, but keep the human story in there. I think it's a nice format for that. Yeah. And it seems to work well. No, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of like some of it's like the really small people, not small people, the small aspects of life from like, I don't know, from say a Lido, uh, 
uh, an, an outdoor Lido, if you can believe that, uh, listener, uh, to sort of the um, the closing of the enormous power station in Ravens. Uh, what's Ravens it Craig. Ra- Ravens Craig, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, I like I like I like getting in touch with my inner Alan Partridge on a not a daily basis, but at least once a month. And that has elements of it, this show, in such a great way because people, I, 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 you drive past a massive, like, energy plant, blokes, girls, whoever, whoever's into the geeky shit, they want to know about that. And also, like, it's gone. And Raven's Craig was huge. And it's so important uh, to the UK's energy, right? And, and um, what, it's like... It doesn't even exist anymore, but it was so poignant on the landscape, not necessarily like on the landscape, but the kind of like the anthropo- anthropological landscape, but mm-hmm. also the industrial landscape. You know, when you touch down and you land in Ravenscraig, where it used to be, because it's all blown up and, you know, cleared away. Mm. What was that? What was that like? It was it was really kind of sad, you know. It, it, it remains Europe's biggest waste ground, this area. It's about, you know, I think we say in the programme, it's the size of 700 football pitches. Yeah, that I can't and, even equate. I can't even think about You know, and, and we, we actually filmed at it twice. So there was the day that we'd landed the helicopter in it, and then we came back to do some pickup stuff. So we kind of drove into it one day. And you yeah. basically have to get permission from the council. You get let in through these gates. And it's almost, it's almost like this kind of, post-apocalyptic Mad Max style landscape you're driving through, but then all these trees have returned. And one of the days we were there, I think it was probably the tail end of October. So it was, it was a little bit like being in a sort of waste crown stroke country park because the trees, the trees were sort of, they were just, they were turned, the leaves had turned orange. Um, You know, there was one point where we were driving along, this, this bit of road, which would have been between the massive buildings at one point, but now it was just an avenue of trees. And a, a deer just emerged about 100 metres down the road and just kind of stood in the middle of the road and kind of looked at us. And we didn't manage to get a camera, sadly, because it would have been really a really strong image for what yeah. we're trying to do. And then it kind of took off again. But yet, I think th- there's always something enormously poignant when, I mean, sometimes these, these big industrial concerns just get covered over the housing estate and it, it can be hard to try and picture what was there it's not mm-hmm. it's not hard with Ravenscraig the footprint of the buildings there the tiles on the floor of some of the buildings are still there um you you, you have this sense of it and it remains as inevitably as this massive scar in the Scottish landscape I mean I was you know I was born the very end of the 70s I was born in 1978 so, I, I mean, in Scotland, Ravenscraig was on the news all the time. You know, it was it was a constant thing in the kind of late 80s, early 90s. Just Ravenscraig, what's happening? Ravenscraig strikes. What with Thatcher and breaking, yeah. breaking, breaking exactly. everyone down. Exactly. And, you know, and that's why, it's, you know, it is a particularly poignant episode, I think, for, for anyone who, whether they're Scottish or whether they're British, who has any connection to the kind of heavy industry of, of our past. Because... Oh, yeah. This was this massive change in, in in Britain's way of life, which, which which you know the Thatcher government was responsible for that movement away as, mm. as she would put it from dependency 
on on old industry in a way to to, to move to a new industry, a lot of which is driven by financial services. Right. What that then left, particularly in in Glasgow and the Central Belt, was just was was nothingness, Des- uh, decimation. Lot, I mean, a lot. But of you, yeah, but you got that sense because if you you know you you don't have time to go into, and it's not that show you know where you go into the the political aspect of it. Um, but I I think that you most people watching it would get that sense um, of the the ghostly feel of it. You know the the um, I was thinking just a moment ago. Uh, you go if you go into a massive cathedral that's empty. You know if you've got any kind of imagination, when you ever go into church, you always think, my God, the thousands of people that have have um, been in here over the, the you know hundreds of years and have um, worshipped and stuff, and they've had all these. Profound feelings, or just boring feelings, whatever. Just, just the day to day. But they've been there, the, the the remnants of those people. And I just always think, in a workplace, it's kind of, it's all. There's almost more there because you work so much of your life, and then you go. You know, Ravens Craig is just like knocked down. It's just this foundation left, and but people walked here once, man, and. And it was such a monumental part of of society and for thousands and thousands of jobs. And then thanks. Thanks, Maggie. You know, it's, it's it, quite yeah. something. And I mean, the, the, the sort of interview had two great interviewees, you know, there and they were, you know, they both got really quite emotional, um, yeah. you know, and they're quite long interviews, actually. And the thing, you know, the thing with television, you end up seeing you know, probably about two minutes, if that, of them talking. But, you know, I was probably talking to them for a half an hour or so or more. Um, and, you know, there's, there's only so much we could then put in, yeah. you know. But but quite often, particularly when you're filming interviews, you just you just keep it rolling. You keep it going. And it makes the conversation real. And I really enjoy doing the interviews. It's something I've, you know, I've done in my capacity as a writer, is interview people as well as, as, well as, 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 as doing those kind of interviews. And, you know... As, as, as one of the, the contributors, Mary, was was saying, you know, she, you know, she she just came from some, she said she was a wee girl from the flats. And when she first came to Ravenscraig, it's this vast building. And she worked in the, you know, in, in the kind of offices. She said only, you know, women weren't allowed at that time to work anywhere other than in the offices. But she just yeah. couldn't believe how, you know, she said it was so posh. And this was <laughs> yeah. working. And, you know, this was, yeah. and that was, that was her life. And her husband worked there. And her husband worked, you know, um, in the steelworks itself. And she said he, after it closed, he was he was still young enough to find other employment, but he was he was getting towards the end of, of you know that working life that can occur. Right. He never exactly. did. He never found anything else. You know oh, that was it. For devastating. Him. That that's was it. Awful. You know, and it's you know, and and you kind of felt that that what that would do to a community really ripped the heart out of that community and and the fact that that scar is still there i mean there's a big sports center next to it now which is actually where we park to go and film there so they've tried to right. you know to, to some element of reinvigoration but yeah. all the plans for redeveloping raven's creek have never come through whether it's housing or or, or turning it into a park all these kind of right. ideas it still remains this massive massive piece of waste ground and you know there's there's almost a bit of me that thinks it gets to the point where you you should it should be taken into state care as a historic site, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, you yeah. know, and and actually you know because this is 
you know, it's we're talking sort of twenty odd years ago now. Um, yeah. You know, another twenty years if it hasn't changed. You know, what point does that become properly become history? Because it is history. What, what well, point? yeah. I, I mean, I think if you if you if you guys leave, um, if the union doesn't hold, and th- then there's there's always a case for like making it a museum of like what thatcher what the tories did to scotland and they'd be pretty happy to do that i mean they'd probably have to do that now but i mean yeah no it's just um it it is sad and i i was born in 81 i have i didn't live through any of that obviously um but you you can't escape like the historical significance of what you what you guys covered there but um it'd be cool if to pivot um onto um the what i've what i've i'm a bit of a second world war geek and again alan partridge not not bond though not much of a bond geek but but i do like my second world war and um i I was up in fort william a while back many many moons ago and i was driving up down was kind of the a85 or one of one of those ones Mm -hmm. and you're coming coming down and it was just to the commando monument outside Fort William that overlooks Ben Nevis. And I didn't know it was there and it just blew my mind. It was just unbelievable. You know, this, I think the sun was just setting and um, this gorgeous, for those that don't haven't know what that is, basically it's just a huge, great um, sculpture of a sculpture of what three, three commandos. Spain Spain bridge is, is called. Yeah, yeah, it's just unbelievable, and you guys just capture those moments so well. Like the the beauty of Scotland, um, Glencoe. I mean, all that kind of area and, and what have you. Um, just oh, there's such a, it's so deeply ingrained in my heart. Like what? Because I, I mean, I, I, a part of me would understand if you got a little bit bored of the endless beauty, <laughs> but was. <laughs> What was it like when you were first up in the, up in in the plane? The series was just getting going, and you were in the, the depths of the Scottish countryside, places like Fort William and all that. I mean, it's it is. I mean, it is it's 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 funny when, and I think everyone actually probably does recognise this now because most of us have been in a plane, and you know that moment on takeoff where you've just lifted off. And the ground, everything around you is still recognisable. It's still, mm. you're not far off the ground. And there's a moment, there's a point where it switches, where you reach a certain altitude, where suddenly it all seems strange. It all seems different. It all seems unusual. And, you know, it's almost the way cars become tiny, figures become uh, indecipherable. They're, 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 not, they're not there anymore. Houses become these little dots. And it's like you're looking down on a scale model. And... You know, I think that's because our brain knows we shouldn't be up there. It's trying <laughs> to process what's put in front of it. In a way, a lot of the things we deal with in the series, and a lot of things I write about is what happens when people go up in the sky and how their behavior changes. And, you know, one, one of the episodes we look at how they think, you know, it's almost like playing God. They think they can redesign everything, redesign whole cityscapes, redesign whole landscapes. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got the archaeologists who use it as a way to, to look back in time. Um, and, what, you know, one of the, 
there was one flight we did in series one, which was from Perth airfield, which, and I grew up about 15 miles south of Perth in a little town called Otterarda, which is very, it's exactly on the Highland boundary fault. So it's the moment where the Grampian Mountains rise up. It's the moment where the entire geological landscape of Scotland changes. At that point, lowland hits its highland. I kind of, I grew up on that bit where basically the land starts going up the way. Um, and so we flew from Perth Airfield at, it was the last day of August, last day of, kind of August, in a way, the last day of the summer in Scotland, September doesn't tend to, doesn't tend to be very cold. <laughs> um, you know, it was late in the evening, it was getting towards, it was probably about seven o'clock at night where we did this flight in a tiger moth, vintage tiger moth, 1949 biplane. Yeah. Um, and we flew down over my hometown. And, you know, I, I'd never seen that landscape from the sky before. You know, I'd driven around it. I'd cycled around it as a teenager. I felt like yeah. I knew it well. And it was completely transformed to me. Because that's not somewhere you'd fly over in a commercial flight. You'd never see that from yeah. above. Yeah. And at that time of the evening, time of day, time of the evening, um, that kind of you know golden hour with that low light just cutting across the fields and then basically practically flying over my house. And then we headed further down. We were following the route of an old Roman road. Yeah. And all the way down past a, a big Roman fort, Arduk Fort, which is the largest the largest kind of military encampment in in Scotland still still kind of surviving in a way you can see it and again I've I've been I've been to it on the ground it's basically lots of big humps and ditches from above it's right. very clearly the stamp of military might of Roman military might and then we kept going kept going further down past the Wallace Monument um you know at the same altitude as the Wallace Monument you know oh my god if there's someone <laughs> standing on the top of Wallace Monument could have reached out and, and sort of, you know, high-fived them as I went past. Thankfully, we weren't that close. Um, <laughs> so in between the Wallace Monument and Stirling Castle, and then kind of turned to follow the, the route of the Antonine Wall. And the Antonine Wall was this big Roman, it's basically the Scottish equivalent of Hadrian's Wall. Yes, yeah. We weren't aware of it, but it was this wall that was built after Hadrian's Wall and only, only kind of um, was, was maintained and manned for, for 20 years. And actually, the, the route of that wall went exactly beside the airfield we landed at, at Cumbernauld. Mm. Cumbernauld is a new town, so it's kind of one an example of one of these places that was designed from the sky, but there we were following this kind of Roman remains. Um, but that journey will stay with me forever. Just the conditions were incredible. Um, the route we took through a landscape that I knew well, because this is where I grew up, and we would, you know, I've driven to Edinburgh so many times, we followed the main roads that goes oh, yeah. between, you know, between kind of Perth and Edinburgh and off towards Glasgow. Um, but I'd never seen it from that perspective. Certainly not from the open cockpit of a World War II. A tiger II. moth. I, yeah, of a tiger <laughs> moth. And it was yeah. just, just utterly, utterly astounding. And I mean, it was funny, it was, I was talking to, I happened to be talking to someone I was working with on, a, on another project. And he was like asking me what I'd been up to. This was before the program had aired. And I was like, well, actually, I've been you know, doing this filming thing. And uh, actually, you know, I was incredible. I did this flight. And he was like, I saw you. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was, I, was, I was driving. I was driving along. What? Air <laughs> 9. And we saw this biplane. Was it, was it, was it right at the end of August? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, kind of, it was that kind of thing. 
that's just that just illustrates how small a country Scotland is. Right. It's kind of like, oh yeah, that, yeah. that team is flying me. Yeah, everyone, everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone, everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but no, that uh, that whole experience was utterly, utterly, and you and you kind of have to pinch yourself that you're getting to do it. It just seems it seems definitely. ridiculous. Well, I think especially when I, I I was looking at how much it would cost to get a do a Spitfire, um, a, just a ride in Spitfire, and it's like insane. It's like two and a half grand for like fifteen minutes or something. I was like, yeah. okay then, okay, <laughs> maybe not. I'm happy to look at them flying a, a, a head. Yeah, it's fine. There's one in the sky. I mean, I you know I can close my eyes, but um, oh wow, that's so cool that you got to do that. I really you know that that's. Uh, a dream that maybe you never even had, but then it was coming true. It's like when a dream is is happening. You know what I'm saying? Like in terms of like we all have these ideals, dreams that we, that we'd love to either fulfil or. But then when they're actually happening, you go, "My God, if I could think, if I had five minutes to think about this, this would actually make a really great dream." And it's happening now. That's that's something. That's so cool. Yeah, but, um, I mean, you kind of. <sighs> It's it's a funny thing because you can hold on to it and I can I can I can watch it I can I can watch the footage <laughs> yeah but it still seems like you've lost it you know yeah until yeah. the next time you get a chance to do it. it's a very strange sensation I guess you kind of yeah. once you've had a taste of it you want you want a bit more of it don't get addicted mate it's very yeah. freaking expensive <laughs> exactly yeah because I was because you know there was a point during it where the pilot let me fly it. Oh. And because it was dual control, yeah. and um, and I was I kind of I sort of mentioned to the director down the ground I was like oh you know this would be quite good that bit you know just have a bit where I'm I'm flying it and I, yeah. I suspect for various insurance reasons that that was just like no we can't yeah. <laughs> we can't do that but, <laughs> but when we were up there the pilot was like oh, do you want to do you want to want a quick bash. Yeah. And it was like, okay, and it was kind of like we had to shout to each other, you know, you have control because so we're not both pulling the, the levers right. at the same time. Um, and so I, I sort of banked the the, the plane one way, um, then tried to kind of pull it back the other way. We started going down towards the ground. You're controlled straight back to it. You fucking... Oh, yeah, my it's God. Not as easy, it's not as easy as it looks, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cold up there. It's a lot colder when you piss your yeah. pants as well. So, yeah. you know... Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, do, you know, do you know what, though? You're, this is another change of um, topic. Well, not topic, I suppose. It's on topic, but... You, you know you're you're probably going to hate me for this, but your you, your voice reminds me a lot of Paul Mer- Merton, the uh, the uh, Scottish presenter who oh, yeah, does yeah, yeah. yeah um, who does the uh, he did an amazing series on the islands of Scotland, and um, he's a real sweetheart. And like so, whenever I'm whenever I'm up in Scotland, what I love about Scottish TV is no no matter not always, but most of the time there's always something about the countryside. You guys have such a wonderful way of preserving and loving your your country. And obviously Brits are pretty good at it as well. We've got some beautiful things going on in this country, but there's something magical about that, about Scotland that I, I've been up endless, countless times and, and I don't know why I don't live there. It's so inspiring. I mean, especially with the history as well, because that's what I love about come, come up, look, I can I can tell you that leaving London to and I leaving London was a wrench to me. I sort of yeah. didn't want to. But mm. 
I mean, it's now I live, I mean, partic particularly right now, but you know, where, where I live on the south side of Edinburgh, I can walk into the hills in 10 minutes, yeah. you know, and it, well, I mean, I, I miss, I miss the social side of London, but to be honest, yeah. now that I've got two children, I don't miss it. <laughs> I don't miss it no. as much as I did 10 years ago. So it's, this Jesus. is probably better for me. Yeah, I mean, it's eight o'clock at night and you're having a beer and you'll probably be in bed in an hour. And exactly, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Um, yeah, like my sister lives in um, Kearney Hill, which is um, near Dunfermline. Um, oh, yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm up there all the time. Edinburgh's probably my second second favourite city in all the world. But, um, yeah. No, the reason I just mentioned Paul Merton is, um, yeah, there's a real, real, there's just a really great love well, and anybody who's done any presenting has always, you know, in my mind anyway, has always gone to the, the Scottish countryside at some point. You know, I bet like Matt Baker, whoever, like anyone who's done the one show, they've, they've all been to Scotland. They've all gone there just, just, just to take it in at some point. But what I, what I was going to get at is what I absolutely love is you got the A9 and it's like endless historical you know those brown um uh, signposts mm. and, and and they'll go in a 200 feet follow this sign historical trail blah 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 another five miles there'll be another historical thing it's just endless and like you you know you've got like killy cranky and you've got culloden and and all these amazing battle sites with the brit you know the brits but sorry the english um you know decimating scotland and raping it for everything it can and uh, and what have you and that's another tragedy about scotland is how it's been absolutely mauled by the english you know um but maybe that's another podcast but um what was what's your like because you're obviously a historian where does your where does your history start from like where does your like where did you do you go to as that, as, do you mean in terms of my my knowledge where does well, your start? knowledge, like but the love of it, because it's not, it's one thing to go, oh, I fell in love with it, you know, at school and what have you. But it's another thing to then go and write books and, doc and documentaries and what have you. I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, as a student, um, my speciality was history and philosophy of law. So some of that was about early Scottish law, but a lot of that was actually uh, more looking back towards kind of ancient Greece and Rome. And and that probably is where my love of history originates, not actually in my own country, but more mm. in more ancient history and kind of mythology and, and particularly those, you know, those kind of two great civilizations, the Greek and, and the Roman civilization. I, I, you know, there's so much that, that comes from there that informs how we are and how we live now and you know, the sophistication of, of many of the things that, that they developed still philosophy man <laughs> so, you know and it's kind of i mean one of you know one of the books that i that i wrote part of it was required me to to be reading the the sort of memoirs of, of julius caesar mm. and there was just a kind of moment when you're doing that where you're just thinking this is ridiculous you know, this, this, you know, this guy who lived, you know, more than 2000 years ago, and he's got this incredibly, you know, acutely well-observed piece of writing that I can pick off a library shelf in Edinburgh University Library and I can read, yeah. I can read what, what he wrote of his campaigns in Egypt. He's like, this is something yeah. so crazy and so beautiful about yeah. that 
Do you know that that way because it becomes a conversation at that point. You know, you're you're that's as close as you can come to talking to that person to have those writings and to have so many, you know, of those sort of people, whether it's Aristotle or Socrates or Caesar or you know any of the great Roman historians, people like Tacitus, you know, to, to be able to pick up these things, and they're absolutely like rip roaring books. They're brilliant, you know. I think a lot of yeah. people who don't who feel put off by history will just think, oh, I just can't. I won't be able to yeah. read it. And actually, the, particularly the Roman histories, they're really short, they're really punchy, and they're really gossipy. You know, they're, <laughs> they're really, really funny. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a great place to start. Just have a, you know, have a read of it. It's just, you know, a lot of the time they're just, you know, having a go at some other historian or some <laughs> corrupt, idiotic emperor. And, yeah. You know, I have so much relevance. Nothing changes me. there, mate. Nothing changes yeah, exactly, there, then. Exactly. Like, yeah, like we, we, we think that human nature is human nature. Just because you rewind 2,000 years and get Caesar's old, you know, you know, dear diary today, you wouldn't believe the shit that this guy was talking about. He's talking about, like, building a wall up in Scotland. I'm not going yeah. up there. Yeah. Keep those immigrants Miles away. Keep yeah, keep building a wall. Build a wall. Exactly. Build the wall. I will build that wall. And it's, you know, that's <laughs> you did it. That joy of it it's it's that as it's that sense of as you say human nature we have not we have not changed people have not changed in the last two three four or five thousand years there is no difference really between those people and us in terms of our brain and evolution nothing has changed technology has changed around us but we're still the same punters doing the same shit and that that's what's so great what's it called the um the seven pillars of not pillars, but the the, the the seven things that you need most in your life to make, or I think it's seven to, to, and then you'll be absolutely happy. So it's like, you know, food, water, security, fire, those sort of things, blah, blah, blah. And then you can start those that hasn't changed in, in no. God knows how many years. The only thing we have changed, I suppose, is putting all the bullshit around it. Sort of like the uh, 4,000 pound TV that you can pay off over a course of six years and, etc and cars and all you know and what have you the, the credit um but yeah yeah we haven't but it's, it's really cool i like your um you you, you paint a good picture of of being a a, a student and, and reading uh caesar and and uh his diary i mean god almighty you know and, and just but f- touching history it feels like you're touching history i think that's mm. kind of what you're saying but i mean it's hard to bring that. Um, so, what are, what books have you have you read? Have written, uh, Jamie? Because that would be so. Quite I, cool I, I've written how many books about aerial I photography? I should know this. This is bad. I, it's completely passed me I, by. I, I, I mean, it. so I've <laughs> written one, two, three, four books of aerial photography, which is taking from the National Collection of Aerial Photography and and using them. I mean, some of these were written prior to the series. Um, so yeah. a book called Above Scotland, Above Scotland Cities, Scotland's Landscapes, and then another book which was about Aerofilms, which was the world's first commercial aero photography company started yeah. out, out of Hendon Aerodrome in 1919. Um, so this book, Aerofilms, A History of Britain from Above, all of them were using, and in a way that's what I brought to it, was trying to not just say, here's a selection of nice aerial photographs of your yeah. town, but it's actually what what was behind this, why were the people taking these photographs, who were they, what were they doing, and then how did people respond to the photographs that were taken, mm. and how can you then use 
this imagery of the landscape to try and build up a better picture of your history. That's that's what I tried to do with those books. But those are kind of big coffee table style books. Then, as I said, the big the big kind of um, non-fiction book, no photographs book, just textbook was was Fallen Glory, um, which was called Fallen Glory: The Lives and Deaths of History's Greatest Lost Buildings. That, that sounds was, like I want to get that one. I want to get that one all in my face. That sounds. I think, I think you would. I think you would enjoy that. And that's to say, that's kind of treating buildings like people by its biographies of buildings, how they were born, how they right. lived, how they died, and what their afterlives are. You know, and as yeah. I say, going all the way up from the very first structure, whatever structure inspired the myth of the Tower of Babel, then all the way up to to the Twin Towers and the you know structure. What always interests me with these kind of it's who's building them, like the people that build them, because like you take it from say like the nineteen twenties when those guys are sitting out on the sky, skyscrapers and they're literally having their lunch on a on a bar of, of steel with with like a nine hundred foot drop, yeah, and unbelievable working conditions or the slaves that built built the pyramids, you know, it's 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 the people for me, it it really is. Um, how do you how did you feel about that do you, do you can you kind of like relate to that at all yeah i mean i think that's i think that's one of the one of the things we or i found and one of the reasons i wrote the book is a lot of the time when you read about architecture you read about you read a lot about the kind of technicality of it or sometimes the more high-minded artistic aspects of it you know the, the details of the building or yeah or what was you know what was innovative about its construction and technical terms you don't tend to dwell so much as you say on the people who actually had to put brick on brick yeah you don't tend to deal so much with the reasons behind the building being constructed which often are utterly bizarre they're arbitrary they're yeah. you know they're, they're all these kind of strange purposes some of which some of which are noble some of which are insane but every part of these buildings is about human personality in some way or another and of course the buildings will have a purpose people will spend time within those buildings so then they're viewed with the that experience as you know as you talked about earlier on about raven's creek you know some of these buildings will have had thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people passing through them. And that must have some psychical impact on the space. So it was all of that I wanted to write about. And then the impact those buildings have afterwards, which sometimes can be incredibly significant mm. for both history and, and particularly contemporary history. You know, people's responses to ruined buildings that have the potential to change to change the world sometimes in very bad ways you know one of one of the one of the buildings i wrote about was the roman forum mm. and the roman forum is a classic example of you know what structure almost I, I put it in the introduction to the book a bit like this it's like you know when you know when kind of cabbies say you won't believe who i had in here <laughs> yeah buildings are like the best raconteurs ever because the roman forum can say i've met caesar napoleon and hitler They've, yeah. all, they've all been in this space. And you kind of think, how have you been around so long? That, right. And why were they there? And, and Hitler, say, was so inspired by the ruins of the Roman Forum that he went straight back to his chief architects in Berlin and said, we're not going to use any modern construction materials anymore. We're only going to use marble. 
because when the Third Reich crumbles in a thousand years, I want it to look like the Roman Forum. And that just gives oh, you an insight into, you know, how different aspects of history inspire the behaviour of other people. And he, he bought a painting of the Forum to put up in, in his room in the, in the German Parliament, you know, hung over his desk. And, and you yeah. kind of think that this is this insight into the psyche of, of people and how, you know, how it can, it can both inspire, or it can always inspire, but it can inspire creativity and also inspire darkness in, in, in some individuals. And, that. and all of Big that to kind of cover, I wanted to kind of get stuck into. It's, it's great. This sounds amazing. I, I think it's just one of those things where you go, what you, you touch on there, like that people can be inspired in very different ways, very different ways. Mussolini was all about getting the old Roman Empire. Let's bring back the Roman yeah. Empire. Yeah. You know, it's dangerous. It's so dangerous. Like imperialism is terrifying to me. Um, I'm reading a lot about that at the moment. There's a guy called Ian Dunt who's written a, a fantastic book called um, How to Be a Liberal. And it's um, it's not a, a manual, by the way, but it, it charts the hit, you know, like the history of, of liberalism um, through the through the stories and narrative of, of narratives of a few uh, key philosophers and it's um it, it's it's a fan it's fantastic but it does underline how people do just darth vader the living crap out of things man they just fall to the dark side and i'm putting everything in layman's terms and i'm making a dog's dinner of it but it is um it is quite interesting what in the places that you did you go lit all around the world for this or or yeah, so this, who, who commissioned this man? Who well, gave you the dollar? What did you I, do? Yeah, no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't travel to all these places, sadly. Um, oh, gutted. So uh, maybe half of them I'd been to just oh, okay. in the course of my life. Um, yeah. And then half of them I've, I've not and will be, you know, in some cases, I'm, I may Are never you? get to. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to. I mean, I'm still so trying to, to, you know, hopefully get this made into... A series at some point but it's so epic in its scale because i mean it is everywhere it's you know it's all across right. the world. it's every continent you know we're dealing in some one of the buildings i write about is is lost in the peruvian amazonian jungle you maybe know, so not that one be, then mate it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a tougher I've, gig to get to you know I've, so i've got one for you so my my family port my, my dad's side the portius that family side they um <clears throat> originated like from in 1490 or something uh, by the river Tweed the Tweed in Tweedsmuir in Dumfries and Galloway and um, back back in the day I'm not talking 1490 but maybe <clears throat> the 1990s when they started thinking about excavating it it was a, a proper ruin you'd have you'd have freaking loved it you have to walk yeah, that's park, great. park your car you have to walk over a beautiful stunning sceneries like the beautiful um reservoir you walk around the corner down i've said get get out the way sheep get out the way cross this burn and then up and then the other side then there's this just this remnants and there's this um cairn this portius cairn there and it's in the middle of nowhere it's absolutely stunning i proposed to my wife there actually and it's like it's the most beautiful thing i think that's um what gets me what gets me going when you you know when you're talking about um, who's been in who's been in buildings mm. you know the raconteurs that the built you know the stories they could tell and it's it really touches a nerve i really love it i'd oh yeah I, i'm definitely going to give that a read i think um i think someone's got a commission that jamie i hope yeah well i'm actually discussing it with someone right now so 
fingers. Is that what you've been? Is that what is that what you've been zooming about? Uh, yes, earlier on today. But yeah. I mean, Please, I've, I've been there. I've been there before. I've been there before, and yeah. uh, you know, it's 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 a it's a tough thing. Well, right now, it's an impossible thing to commission because you can't travel. Sure. You know, yeah. so that's, that's going to be it's going to be a much harder gig. But I think I think the stories are there; they exist. It's all written. It's ready. It's ready to go. That's and, right. You know, I think that that approach, whether it's employed with the buildings that I have picked for the book, or whether actually you mm. employ other buildings, I think the idea is there and, and, and stands up. So, so yeah, I, I hope I hope we could do something with it. It's funny how TV presenting has changed over the years. I think Brian Cox is actually one of those kind of because you're you're a handsome young guy. Coxie's reasonably handsome and probably getting a bit old now. But when he he bought like a new rock and roll thing to to the literally the universe and outer space. Um, to, so totally for me as well. Like it just I'd, I'd never seen it like that before. Mm. Um, Arcade, you know planets are living things obviously but they don't and they, they can in a way have personalities i i personally in a geeky way think they do and probably a whole lot of people do think they have more than personalities but um but with buildings they do as well i think buildings they're, they're well they're created to have personality but i guess what i'm getting at is it's kind of crying out for a bit of that kind of slightly rock and rolly kind of new take on things i think that's my that's my feeling i mean i think there's there's almost a tendency and it happens in publishing and it happens in television architecture it gets put in a niche mm. and it's it gets put in a very geeky niche and viewed as a certain type of thing and you know i i would always say my book is it's not a book it's not a history of architecture at all it's yeah. the history told through the eyes of the buildings. Nevertheless, you go into Waterstones, they've probably put it in the architecture section, right. which actually yeah. is the section you don't want a general history book ever to go to because it's hidden <laughs> somewhere on like the fourth floor and it's about three shelves. Whereas if it's just sitting in history, there's a, there's a whole raft of shelves that people won't yeah. kind of come to. Um, but it, I, I mean, I get it. It's hard because it covers just about every historical period going from 5,000 years ago up to the present day, there's nowhere put it in world history, I guess, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's a hard one to put, but I think there's that tendency, you know, the books about the lives and deaths of buildings, bang, it's straight into architecture. Yeah. Yeah, think, think, yeah. Something that kind of breaks the eye and says, and this is something we've talked about when we're talking about trying to pitch the, the series, this idea is this is not an architectural history. This yeah. is, this is a history. And actually, it's a quite relevant contemporary history and had a lot of contemporary resonance God, yeah. using these buildings and using the spaces that they used to occupy as a way to tell it. And that's that's what we're trying to do. I mean, yeah, political ideology was formed and yeah. what have you. I mean, God, it's just, uh, it kind of writes itself. I mean, really, you'd have to, if you had the dollar, and if you didn't, and it was in your remit to make it. But then again, hey, look, you know, I, you know that and I know that. But we know it's, that it's the sort of thing where I'm, like I was that. actually I was joking with someone earlier on, almost half joking, that you need you need like an A-lister, a Hollywood A-lister who's interested in architecture, like like say Brad Pitt, who's you know, oh, yeah, puts yeah. lots of money into the Glasgow School of Art, which very sadly burnt down for a second time. Oh no, my God! You know, you've you've got someone like that. The probably only way to get it made is if he's like the main figurehead, and I I sort of getting dragged along in his coattails. Right, that, that might work, but uh, yeah. Well, maybe you just need to make a few films, Jamie. Do you know what I'm exactly, saying? Well, exactly. Just, exactly. just come on, 
come on, it's time you just bit the bullet, became a, you know, actor. Um, but yeah, thank you. Look, man, we'll probably call it there if that's okay. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. I can hear my daughter making a, oh God. I mean, she's crying. How old, how old is she? She's two years old, just over two oh, years wow. old. And she, she's obsessed with her knee hurting now. So anytime she gets slightly upset about anything, it's knee, ouch, knee, ouch. And you, and you said you've got another one on the way. On the on the way, yeah. Arriving, but, uh, arriving when? <laughs> 25th of December, I shit oh, you not. Bingo. <laughs> bingo. It could be the second coming, my friend. So oh, if it is, yeah. then I will share the wealth because yeah. obviously people yeah. are going to want to know about that and yeah. uh, we can commission your series, okay? Exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, If you're the father of God, of the son of God, would you be the father yeah. of the son of God? Or does that make you God? Yeah. I, I don't guess. know. I mean, really yeah, it depends which, which, which way your bread that. is buttered. You yeah. can make that sort of stuff happen. So that's... Uh, <laughs> that's that's good no it gets it's you know i think we we must have had about that yeah I had a two and a half year old when we had yeah. our second yeah it's crazy crazy times for a couple of years then you, you come out the other end and it's uh Don't, it's great. Oh, god okay. do you know what do you know what it is do you know if it's going to yeah. be oh, no no don't know surprise can't wait I've, i'm really happy about that actually yeah. yeah um but yeah thank you so much for your time mate no, no problems. Nice to talk to you. It's good chat. Let, let's stay in touch because I really do want to yeah. know how, if, if you get if you get this commission because it's going to be in, and I'm read the book and everything so we can stay in touch and banter. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. No, it's nice to nice to meet you virtually via yeah, Zoom. Uh, yeah, there we go. When, yeah. when will when will the podcast appear? I'm not too sure yet. I've got I've got to really sit sit down this weekend because I've got a whole backlog of interviews yeah. and I've got to really really work it out. But it shouldn't be too long. Maybe like three weeks max. Okay. Because I want to try and get it out soon, so because it's, it's relevant at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Actually, the programs will drop off the iPlayer very soon. Actually. Yeah. Okay. I'll get it. I'll get it out. This well, I could probably well, get it out. Matters this or not? It doesn't massively matter to me, but if it, if it, matters, it matters to me. me, it matters to me. Yeah. I think. I think. <laughs> the, yeah. So the, only the second series is still available, and I think with the, yeah. each each Saturday one is going to drop off. So okay. this one will drop off following Saturday, blah, blah, blah. Okay, God. So okay. it's probably, yeah. So no, it's annoying they don't stay on for longer. I thought with no. lockdown, they might be leaving things on for longer, but it's still that yeah. 30 days and then it's, and then you're done. Um, or certainly for a lot of new documentaries is. Yeah. Okay, mate. Well, um, yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Enjoy. yeah. You've got, you've got a lot on your plate. So don't, <laughs> you don't need to rush on my account. <laughs> Well, enjoy your beer and the rest of your evening. Cheers. Thanks very much. See ya.